to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns Podcast, we're featuring a boutique corporate funds management advisory firm called Polar 993. Polar 993 provides professional corporate trustee services and AFSL licensing, and it works with and advises some of Australia's leading venture capital and private equity groups. The founder and CEO of Polar 993 is Adam Liddell, and he joins me now. G'day, Adam. Welcome to the program. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me on today. Well, it's a great name, very catchy. What's the origin of Polar 993's name? Well, the origin of the name comes from, I always think when you start a business and you name a business, you have to have something that has some meaning to you. And I particularly am a big fan of air-cooled Porsche 911s and the last of the air-cooled Porsche 911s, the internal model code was known as the 993. And then they had a colour called Polar Silver and I happened to own a Polar Silver Porsche 993. So my business is named after my favourite car. So that's where it emanates it's from. It's got nothing to do with polar bears, polar ice caps, the North Pole, the South Pole, nothing to do with that. We're talking about fast cars. It's a vintage car. So it's a 26, 27-year-old car. So it's not fast in relative day terms, but it is a car that you have a visceral experience from driving. There's there's nothing like a uh, air-cooled Porsche 911 in terms of just a, a visceral experience to drive. So uh, it's something which is a treat to drive. I love driving it, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure. It puts a smile on my face. Well, that well, that's got. Well, I've never been in one. Next time um, I catch up with you, I might have to go for a test drive or something. <laughs> it's a deal. So, so tell me, what does Polar Nine Nine Three, the firm, the advisory firm, what do you do? As you sort of just mentioned in your intro, we provide corporate trustee and AFSL solutions for wholesale investment funds. So what does that mean? Many fund managers to operate in Australia are required to operate under an Australian financial services licence. Yeah. And many investment managers either don't have their own licence or don't have the necessary authorisations required by ASIC or might have their own licence but do want to have a separate independent um, trustee that oversees the operation and has the fiduciary responsibility for managing and looking after the assets of the fund. So Polar, we essentially provide a one-stop stop solution uh, for investment managers. Uh, we can provide the entire uh, stack, which is required from everything from the licensing, establishing and assisting in the structuring of the setup and advice of the optimal tax structures and investment legal structures, um, all the way through to our online registry and our fund administration services and processes. So really what we allow an investment manager to do is focus on what they do best, which is focusing on finding the investments, managing the investments and working with a partner such as Polar to look after the legal, regulatory compliance and the back office and administration functions of the fund that they're seeking to, to manage. When did you set it up? Um, so I set up Polar in 2020. So Polar is my third business that I've been involved in the funds management space and I've been in funds management now for over 15 years. And Polar really brings together my experiences throughout my entire professional career. So I started my career as a lawyer. I was a mergers and acquisitions lawyer 
uh, worked for a large national Australian law firm, made it up to partnership level, worked for a lot of multinational clients, uh, doing a lot of global taxation, structuring, thin capitalization, mm-hmm. uh, transfer pricing, and really trying to maximize everything from a tax perspective in terms of M&A activity. In 2007, I co-founded a funds management business called Merix Capital, which today is a multi-billion dollar non-bank lender. I was originally our chief operating officer, responsible for our legal compliance, marketing, structuring, cap raising. We raised several billion dollars of capital and I sold out of Merix over the last couple of years and then established uh, Polar uh, after that. And so Polar brings together my legal experience, my funds management experience, and one of the parts we also do at Polar is we help our clients with capital raising and distribution, which very much comes from the work I did at Merix, but also today I'm investing my own family office money and I also advise a number of family offices and help them. So really looking at every product and everything that we do with multiple lenses, you know, it's the experience of the legal experience, the structuring experience, and also understanding what investors generally do like uh, and do find risk-adjusted appealing returns and profiles for them. So when you were thinking about setting up the firm, what was your motivation behind the decision to to say, okay, it's time for me to, to set up a new business? Talk me through that process. Yeah, so this was an area which uh, we identified about a decade ago. So we started looking at this um, when I was still at Merrick's in about 2012, and we actually started building it out to provide this as a service where we would take equity stakes and other managers and mm-hmm. provide all of the types of services that Polar is doing today. It was something that we, we ended up parking on the shelves um, because we – got overrun with other opportunities at the time and there's only you know so many things that one can do and sometimes a big, yeah. big part of business is you have to be able to pivot, you also have to be able to let things go when you've got you know other things coming up. But for me, why I was always attracted to this space is it very much ties into my very structural way of approaching business. Um, I personally like entrusting other managers uh, and I think I'm a you know, very good risk-adjusted structuring person, risk person. I think there are better investors than me. And this is a vehicle and a method and an avenue that allows me both to invest into all the funds that I'm involved with, but also I can help empower very good, talented investment managers who might not have the legal, the structuring, the marketing experience that I have. And I think it's a very good confluence of my experience and it brings together and melts together the work I've done um, the parts I think I'm really strong at and allows me to assist others who are really strong at their areas in becoming and hopefully growing um, quality products. I, I come out with a slightly different view to sort of some of my competitors. Yeah, um, Yeah, so I'm, I'm all about, you know, we, we're boutique, but we act and, and try to do everything at an institutional quality level. Um, and that's the approach that I've really taken throughout my entire career in the funds management space. Um, It's really just trying to do things at an institutional quality, but still remaining boutique, nimble, responsive, adaptable, but you can do all these things to an institutional quality and still be a small boutique manager. And it's melding those two. And, you know, for me, you know, I I work with a number of family offices. Uh, I work with some very, very well-regarded professionals, some very large overseas funds. 
Um, but it, it's a DNA of a type of client which is a little bit unique in the, the sort of the trustee world where um, the types of clients and most of the relationships I've got are, are generally long-standing relationships um, and relationships where I've either directly known that the relevant persons or they come highly recommended from trusted advisors who mm-hmm. I've known for, you know, 15 to 25 years yeah. and trust implicitly because this whole game is all about trust and doing the right thing by investors and clients because, you know, we have fiduciary and legal obligations and, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a role I take very, very seriously. And what do they, what do your clients actually use Polar for? So our clients use Polar for the licensing aspects of funds management. So that's one part. They also use Polar for providing the fund administration services mm-hmm. and they also use Polar to assist in their capital raising and distribution of their products. So really sort of three sleeves within that. So the first sleeve is the licensing trustee. That's all the part regulated by ASIC, requirement for an Australian financial services license, AFSL, whether it's a unit trust structure or the new type of corporate collective investment vehicles. Uh, You you need certain authorizations from ASIC to operate and provide financial services. And often you also need an independent regulated trustee that is the trustee of the fund and holder of the assets. The other part is the fund administration part where we provide online registry, online application process, and then we do all the fund accounting and fund administration services for the fund. So the investment manager doesn't have to do that internally. Um, We provide all of those services for the fund. And what sort of, um, Adam, what sort of sectors are you you working in? Clearly financial services is one, but I imagine given what you've just explained, you'd you'd be working across multiple sectors within the um, Australian economy? Yeah, so we really focus on three sectors. Um, It's all illiquid assets. Uh, So we we really focus on illiquid assets. So we have a lot in the private equity and venture capital sectors. Um, So we have from early stage um, uh, venture capital funds all the way up to sort of later stage private equity funds. Uh, The second category is credit funds. So we um, are involved with credit funds, which are lending money. Uh, Some are secured against uh, corporate lending, others are property-related lending uh, that we do, but it's all all business lending, not consumer lending in any way, shape or form. And the third category is property funds. So we're we're involved with property funds that own both passive assets um, and other property funds which are involved with property development and all repositioning of existing property. So it's those three sleeves um, and it's all very... Uh, sort of illiquid assets that we focus on. So again, it's a venture capital, private equity, sleeve one, sleeve two is credit, and sleeve three is property. You mentioned the CCIV uh, regime. Um, it's, it's fairly new. It's only been approved this year. Let's get into the details on that. What can you tell me about CCIV? Yeah, so the CCIV is an interesting construct. And so the Australian government spent many, many years um, putting in place a new system. And the whole premise of what they've tried to do is create an investment structure to allow for foreign investors to have easier access investing into Australia. Uh, At present, or prior to the CCVI establishment, the most common structure for foreign investors to invest capital into Australia was via a unit trust. And most overseas jurisdictions 
the whole unit trust and the trust structure is not familiar to them. So often, you know, it was seen and, and viewed by Treasury and the government and industry that a lot of investment capital was missing its way to Australia because of the complexity of dealing with and understanding the unit trust structure set up. So the Corporate Collective Investment Vehicle is a new scheme, which, as you rightly say, just was enacted by past legislation earlier in Q1 this year and only became operative um, in about, uh, you can only start applying for it in July of this year, July 2022. And what it is, it's a collective investment vehicle, but it's a company registered with ASIC. So investors are issued with shares in a company structure. So explaining this to foreign investors, it's very simple. You're going to be issued with shares in a company registered with ASIC, as opposed to trying to explain what a trust is, a unit trust, the fiduciary use of a trustee, far simpler and cleaner. Then for investors, particularly in the wholesale, if you compare a wholesale corporate collective investment vehicle, which the acronym is CCIV, CCIV, um, a wholesale CC versus a wholesale unit trust, the investors have much better protections. And some of the benefits include under the CC, it allows for the structuring of effectively an umbrella strategy. So say we work with investment manager ABC. So investment manager ABC wants to have a number of different funds which they want to run and operate. Um, under a CC, we can create one CC for you know, investment co ABC, and they can have sub fund one, which might be a credit strategy. Sub fund two is a strategy that owns particular private equity investments. Sub fund mm-hmm. three might be venture capital investments. Sub fund four might be a property. And one of the codified incorporations legislation benefits is the assets and liabilities of each of the sub funds are 100% segregated at law now. So you have a complete segregation, protection for investors. They have referable exposure just to that particular sub-fund. Under a multi-unit class structure, you aren't at law afforded with such clarity of protection in addition to all the other complications that there are and the complexities about normal unit trust structure. So there's lots of little, lots of little enhancements that the government's you know, wisely put through which we think they're just a fabulous structure, um, more complex for the corporate director because you don't have individual directors of the corporate collective vehicle. You have a corporate director, which has to be a public company, which Polar 993 is, we're a public company. Um, and the the CCIV itself has one director, which is the public company, which has to hold the authorisation from ASIC. So since you, you set up the first, am I right in saying that, for, or first to register in Australia? That's correct, yeah. We've registered um, a couple now. I think we're the, the only firm that's um, registered um, any at the moment still in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a strong pipeline. We've got a couple more which will be registered uh, fairly shortly. Uh, so it's very exciting. Um, what we're finding is particularly um Investment managers, they love it. They understand it. It's simple. It's easy for them to explain to their investors. Um, And when you're talking with foreign managers, which we have a number of funds involved with foreign clients, it's a very easy proposition for them to get their minds around. Because they're used to it, aren't they? They are, yeah. So these these structures are very common now in the UK. Uh, They are common in Ireland. They're common in Hong Kong. And 
just recently, about a year and a half ago, they were established uh, in Singapore also. So they're all similar but slightly different, but fundamentally very similar sort of structures. Um, and ultimately, they're not dissimilar to a lot of the overseas sort of more traditional flow-through jurisdictions that foreign investors have been used to, such as Cayman Island funds, which yes. are essentially yes. a company structure where you're issued with shares in a registered company. So the big global investors, and that uh, they understand these vehicles. And the, the benefit is this is a corporate structure, it's a company structure, but it's taxed as a flow-through vehicle under Australian taxation rule. So the same flow-through taxation rules, whether it's a withholding, um, it's called a you can you can have a managed investment trust that's a MIT, or you can have an AMIT, which is a tribute managed investment trust, or or a withholding um, 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 AMIT. Uh, all of those tax laws that are in existence continue, but now apply even though it's a company structure. So it is simpler to use and has the best tax flow through status that you can have under the Australian taxation laws. And does it put Australia on the on the world map as such? Does it make us more attractive, more competitive at a at a global scale now that we have this structure in place? It should. That's the belief that the government has, and I think that will be the case. I think there's certainly been capital has been lost that could have come into Australia, mm. um, and it's been lost because of complexity at times. That said, at the end of the day, Australia is a massive market, um, and it's a very attractive market for overseas investors. We generally have a very stable political system in Australia. We have very little sovereign risk. Uh, we have very codified rule of law and we have a massive pension system in Australia, which is one of the most attractive for foreign investors in Australia that want to get access to. So really the CCIVs, I think in time, will work both ways. I think we'll see capital flowing into Australia via CCIVs because it'll be much easier for foreign managers. And I also think domestically, uh, they will become the norm in time for investment vehicles. I think in time they will be the, become the most common and utilised investment vehicles in Australia. Now, in the UK, it probably took 10 years for that to take off. In Singapore, they're becoming very widely used now, but the Singaporean government has also granted um, cash payments for the establishment of CCIVs um, and has allowed rollover relief. At the moment, the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office, hasn't yet allowed rollover relief from existing structures into a CC without crystallising a capital gains tax. I think in time there's a high chance that the ATO will revise that and that will allow for many funds to roll over out of existing unit trust structures into a CC structure. You've not long returned from from Israel, a fact-finding mission uh, to Israel to do some, some BD, some business development. Uh, I'm keen to know what your insights were on the investment scene in Israel. What can you tell us? Yeah, so we're lucky. We're currently involved with a, uh, a number of Israeli funds. Uh, I went on the uh, the tour as an Australia-Israel Chamber of Commerce mission led by Joshua Liberman, uh, and Josh has a fantastic ve- uh, venture capital fund called Lumiere, which focuses on Israeli tech, which I'm very proud that Polar is the trustee of that fund. So about 20 of us um, investors um, in the fund, we went with Josh, and it was the most incredible 11 days um, spent in Israel. The VC environment in Israel is off the charts. Is it? I've heard that. Yeah, look, I've sort of you know, seen, obviously, the VC environment here. 
And the Israeli environment is probably not dissimilar to you know the best of the activities going on in the West Coast in the US. But the whole country is a you know it, it's an ecosystem that curates and cultures this very innovative society. I think as a country, it's it's been innovative since the day of its uh, foundation in 1948. And you know the innovation was originally spawned by a lack of food and natural resources, which led them to create you know, incredible um, farming, agricultural needs, and then defence and security needs. And today their needs are very much around um, around health and, and, and uh, wellness, and it's just incredible. But the environment there, and I think amongst other things that helps create is, you know, the Israelis generally live under an existential threat. Mm. Um, and the pressure cooker that that environment creates, I do think pressure often leads people to rise to the very, very top and go above and beyond. In addition to that, Israel has compulsory military training. They do. And the military training that they have is not just, you know, like... The 10 push-ups and, you know, run to the brick wall and back. (laughs) Yeah, so it's, you know, they start scanning and testing people for aptitude testing, physical testing, and all this psychometric testing from when they're sort of age 16. They're looking for particular people and mindsets. Mm. You know, the best of the best go into these elite units, and these are kids that go into these elite units. They're on fast-track programs. And so much of the incredible VC technology comes out of these kids that have been in these elite units. And, you know, they talk about 8100 unit, you know, all these top yacht programs. And we were privileged to meet some of the leaders of these programs, some of the trainers, people who designed these programs, um, and the acumen, the thought that goes into all of this, and you can see where this curates this ecosystem that comes out of these these um, innovators out of uh, out of Israel, um, and it's just quite a, and it's just such a dynamic place, particularly Tel Aviv. It's a city that's alive and twenty four seven humming and pumping, um, and it's it's just a great environment to be part of. And we were very lucky. We met with the companies we were invested in. We met with several companies. Um, you know, we met from things like 3D printing of meat. So they're making... I'm having a steak tonight. I, I haven't 3D printed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's made of, it's all plant-based, but it's used with 3D printers and it looks and the texture feels exactly like meat. And the sausages, you couldn't tell the difference between a sausage. Really? Yeah, it's just unbelievable. They shape the same? They shape the same. We had meat that was steak that looks the same and pulled, pulled brisket that looks the same. Um, it's quite incredible. Um, <laughs> dinner's nearly ready. I'll just warm up the printer. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Uh, and, you know, to, to other technologies, which was, you know, just supercomputer-type stuff and, and then other spyware stuff, which is almost James Bond-esque, and you're looking at this going, wow, that's like I'm just watching like a James Bond movie. And one of the things I love about venture capital, and particularly venture capital not as opposed to private equity, Venture capital is, is a lens into the future. You're often seeing technology that's five to ten years away from commercialisation. Um, one of our other funds that we're involved with, um, which uh, is a fund called Synthesis, um, they have an incubation centre which is called MegTech Actuator. So they give grants and they do seed investing in a whole range of different medical technology um, spaces and spheres. And last night I was at their their gala annual dinner, and they, you know, the, 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 even this is Australian. This is very Australian centric. Um, they do run the program globally at times throughout Asia, 
But the, the ideas and some of the innovations and you know, medical ideas and devices that these um, young professionals are coming up with, it's just mind-blowing. And I sit there and I'm always humbled by it and think, wow, you know, we, we get the luxury of, you know, enjoying what we do, love what we do work-wise, but getting to see this lens of the future and being maybe a very small part of maybe trying to help that. You know, one of the companies that the Israeli Fund we're involved with has got this incredible blood diagnostics program and what it's doing. And, you, you know, if that gets fully commercialised, it will cut the cost, it will cut the speed. And anyone who's waiting for any of these sensitive blood tests and, you know, having to wait one to two weeks, you know, if you're almost getting instantaneous result, just the, 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 the patient and how the patient feels and the medical care um, and, the, and, and, you know, and the assistance mentally for the patients by getting, it's incredible. And if we can be a small part of helping this, whilst making a dollar, it's just a fantastic feeling and result. Final question, Adam. For those listening, who, what what makes a perfect client for Polar Nine Nine Three, and where do you think you can add the most value? That's an interesting question. Perfect client for us is a client that embraces compliance, understands the need for compliance, and makes compliance their friend. Because we're all about compliance. We have to be. We're licensed. We're regulated. It's binary. You have to do the right thing every single day, every single moment. Not cut any corners. There are people in the funds management industry that have that mindset. There are others that see it as a burden and don't enjoy that and want to cut corners. Any of those people are not for us, starting by report. We work uh, a lot with family offices. I've worked very closely with family offices. Uh, my uh, first financial services firm was backed by the backing of one of the very large um, Australian family offices. Um, and a number of our funds we have today are backed by very large Australian family offices. The other part that we work well with is people that are coming from institutional quality background, whether they're coming out of one of the big investment banks or a large investment manager. They understand um, regulation. They understand compliance. They know what it needs to be. So those clients and clients, we have a direct natural affinity of mindset. We know how to help them get to that top level of, as I said earlier, boutique but institutional quality. Mm, mm. Uh, but also we know that they respect and see the need and value having that level of care and diligence in their operational aspects of what they do. Um, and for us, that's the perfect client. You know, we, we generally have very close and deep relationships with our clients. Our business is not about having hundreds of clients. We're quite you know, focused on a relatively small um, and very highly refined um, client base um, and a client base where our clients work together. So a lot of our funds, you know, we have them cross-investing together. We introduce, they share ideas. And that's just a fabulous thing, you know, to, to be part of connected with our clients and to really help our clients grow their businesses um, and, and uh, work with the, the the best to breed who are also in the same sectors and space that they're in. Very well said. Adam Lindell, founder and CEO of Polar 993. Thank you very much for your time today and all the very best in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Justin.